Chapter 1. Make Failure Your Bitch Whoever told you life was fair worked at a carnival. Unknown. Ever been fired? I have. Three times in a row, in fact. Divorced? Me too. Lost your home? Been there, done that. Lost two businesses at the same time? That's me. How about robbed at gunpoint? Traumatizing, isn't it? Accused of a serious crime, arrested and prosecuted by the court of public opinion even though you were innocent and only 12 years old? Yes, believe it or not, that really happened to me too. I've been through a lot of shit and survived. That's how I know you can too. Because I believe that with every loss you experience, be it your livelihood, your most significant relationship, your home, your sense of security, or even your reputation or identity, you will reap equal or even greater gains. That's certainly what I've discovered over the years. The trick is to get through the negative feelings you have about yourself to see this truth. But if you're like most people, you've been brought up to believe that suffering any of the above-mentioned losses makes you a loser, as if you've been labeled with a giant letter L tattooed on your forehead. Society shames us for failing or for suffering any kind of defeat. And from a young age, we're raised with messages like, if you don't go to college, you're a loser. If you don't make X amount of money or get married by a certain age, you're a loser. Loser, 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 loser. And what happens to people as a result of all this societal pressure? Ashamed that they're less than optimal human beings, they end up as liars. Just look at all the bullshitting that goes on in social media. Most people post all kinds of crap about how they're living their hashtag best lives because it appears they've reached a level of success and comfort where nothing bad ever happens to them anymore. Nobody posts their failures on Instagram, only the highlight reel of their lives, which in turn makes you feel sadly inadequate about yours. No, I'm not saying you should advertise all your failures on Facebook. What I am saying is that you don't have to pretend that life is perfect. It's not. The path to success is a bumpy-ass ride down a slippery slope, and failures happen to the best of us. They happen to all of us. So denying your failures and struggles is not going to help. Instead, facing up to your mistakes and learning from them will reap far greater benefits in the long run. Yeah, it's going to be painful, and I'm sure you've heard the expression, no pain, no gain. Well, as it turns out, I used to be a personal trainer as well as a competitive bodybuilder, and I can tell you it's the pain of ripping the muscles and repairing them into bigger, tougher muscles that makes us stronger and more resilient, and sometimes even champions. Without the temporary pain of reaching muscular failure, there is no growth. We all have the ability to turn failures into triumphs, to take what we've learned from them with us into the next venture, to turn disasters into dreams. In other words, the bad things that happen to you the struggles and the failures are nothing to be ashamed of. They serve an important purpose, to help gear you toward the success you're meant to have. That's right, failures are the building blocks of success. You can make failure work for you. Make failure your bitch. I didn't always know this to be true, but now I do. And I'm sharing this with you to help you turn your own defeats around and live a happier and more satisfying life. Humble Beginnings my own life did not start off promisingly. My biological father, James, was a piece of work. And when I say a piece of work, I mean a real piece of shit. For instance, from birth until I was four years old, he used to constantly talk smack about my mom to me and my little brother. Like her own parents hadn't loved her, so we should just ignore her too. Like she was unworthy of our time and attention. Luckily, my mind was strong enough not to buy the BS he was selling. I'd always known her unconditional love for me and loved her back. Him? Not so much. James was an abusive husband and father. His abuse was mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual. He also abused drugs. 
Yeah, he was a real winner. So I don't know if it was all the drugs he took, an undiagnosed mental illness, or a combination of the two that made him behave like a deranged monkey, but he did some pretty crazy shit in my early years. First, he left my mom when she was seven months pregnant with me, his first child, after waking up one morning and announcing he dreamt that God had told him there was going to be a giant earthquake, California would fall into the ocean, and we needed to escape to Salt Lake City, Utah, ASAP. Since we lived in Livermore, which sits on the eastern edge of the San Francisco Bay Area, we were surely doomed. When my mother refused to budge, James packed up and left us in the dust, and alone to die a torturous death via the San Andreas Fault. Taking a Risk When he returned a year and a half later, apparently feeling that California was no longer in imminent danger, my mom took him back. Why? My mom says it was because it was 1970, and you just didn't have a kid without being married. Back then, it was still shocking and scandalous to be an unwed or divorced mother, and no one would employ single mothers either. Who will look after your children? What if your child gets sick? We're talking about a time in the not-too-distant past when it was uncommon for women to own a home or even a credit card. So understandably, my mother didn't feel like she had much choice but to take James back. To outsiders, James appeared to be a kind of knight in shining armor. But ultimately, she did make the decision to leave him and take us with her after enduring another year and a half of his crazy-ass antics. His movie montage of Father of the Year highlights included staying up for a week straight shooting methamphetamine so he could appear mentally unstable in front of the draft board. I don't think he needed help with that there, buddy. Beating me with a hairbrush for walking between him and another adult while they were having a conversation, leaving me covered in bruises. Don't cry and don't tell your mother. Telling me and my younger brother that we'd be better off dead than living with our mother because she wasn't baptized Catholic, like he had been, and more. That's right. He'd found religion before his return to California and thought he was holier than thou. In reality, he just abused the Bible like he abused everything else, making a show of reading it for four hours straight every night before coming home from work instead of engaging with his family. He followed that with an hour of drum practice that consisted of his sitting behind a real drum kit and playing the air drums the whole time. He didn't even have real drumsticks. You've heard of marching to the beat of your own drum? This psycho marched to a beat only he could hear every day, for an hour. At any rate, after a few years, my mom got tired of his bullshit and did the healthiest thing she could for me, my younger brother, and herself. She decided that living as a divorced single mother, even with all the side-eyes from neighbors and strangers, was better than remaining in a miserable marriage. I was three years old. Reflecting on it now, it's clear to me that mom was the person who first taught me to be a survivor. Mom taught me what unconditional love was and she taught me an attitude toward failure that differed strongly from the opinion of the world back then, and even today. There were many who viewed, and still view, a woman as a failure if she was divorced. She can't keep a man, they'd say. She must have done the marriage wrong. But it was James who had done wrong. He'd done us all wrong. He'd been the one who failed. My mother, on the other hand, had decided, public opinion be damned, it was better for herself and for her sons to be happy. After all, is staying in an irreparably damaged marriage really a sign of success? Or is putting it down, leaving it behind, and starting over with lessons learned closer to success's true meaning? It's my belief that if you take risks like that for the right reasons, they pay off. In mom's case, the payoff came in the form of Gary, the man who, after she married him, became my stepdad, but who will forever be the man I consider my real dad. What about you? As I stated in the introduction, 
The way pages of this book are for your own personal reflection. Drawing from incidents in my life to use as a guide, I will ask you about times in your life when you may have found yourself in a similar situation or emotional state. And once you have the benefit of hindsight, I will then invite you to look more deeply into your own history so that you might see how the seeds of your future success may well be hidden, sometimes buried quite deeply, in the dirt of your past. Now would be a good time to break out whatever notebook, journal, or computer program you use to take down notes. Do what works best for you. Ready? Let's get rolling. I began life under the shadow of an unstable parent who created an unsettled home life that lacked the benefits of emotional, physical, spiritual, and financial security. But while it may have been kinda shitty, it didn't stop me from becoming the man I am today. Why? Because I let some of it go and used the rest. What about you? What kind of shitty stuff happened to you in the early years of your life? Did you have an abusive or absent parent? Or did you have emotionally stable caretakers? What is your earliest memory of their attitudes towards money and or success? Did they transfer any of those beliefs to you? Do you still share some or all of these same beliefs? I understand that not all of this will be fun to look into, and I'm not saying that everything bad in your life is your parents' fault either. But being honest with yourself about how you began your life will help you better handle how you live the rest of it. After writing down some of your memories, take some time to look over what you've written and pay attention. Is there any past shit in your life that you're still holding on to? Some of that shit needs to be released. Holding it in will constipate you, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually too. You can't move forward until you get rid of it. So consider this book to be a large glass of Metamucil and drink up. My mother's risking the loss of financial security as well as social acceptance and approval when she left James resulted in her making all of us safer, our home life more peaceful, and her finding a much better husband and father for our family. I feel fortunate and blessed to have had such a strong and caring person at the helm during those formative years. Plus, mom's actions planted a seed of resilience and hope within me that helped me to know that even if things seem really shitty, it doesn't mean that they have to stay that way. I could change things. It was a good seed to have planted so early. I would need it to sprout very soon after, as you will see. What shit, although bad when you first experienced it in the earliest years of your childhood, can you now at least appreciate as fertilizer? How can you use it to make you stronger, wiser, healthier? In my case, as bad as it was for me to lose my biological father to divorce at such a young age, I learned early that you don't have to take shit from people just because they're blood. And don't let people try to convince you otherwise. The best person to look out for you is you. Just as they tell you on an airplane to secure your own oxygen mask before assisting others, you must take care of yourself before you can truly help another. I also learned that people don't have to be related to you by blood in order for you to love them or be loved by them, as you will see in the case of Gary.